So it shall be, when he becomes guilty in one of these, that he shall confess that in which he has sinned. He shall also bring his guilt offering to Yahweh for his sin which he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat, as a sin offering, so the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin. But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to Yahweh his guilt offering for that in which he has sinned, two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. That was Leviticus chapter 5 verses 5 through 7. This is Jeremy. You are listening to the Theana Money podcast where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. We see in that passage from Leviticus that God makes a cheaper option for those who cannot afford the more expensive proper sacrifice under the Old Testament sacrificial law. This is not the only case in Leviticus where God makes an exception for someone who is too poor to afford a lamb or bull or goat for a sacrifice and must offer turtle doves or pigeons instead. Leviticus 14, 21 and 22 is another instance where a similar exception is made for poor worshipers of God. These laws relate to a wider discussion on uh, people of different income levels. And if that is morally wrong, does God condemn this or is there no issue with this in his sight? Before we dive further in, I just want to ask you all to subscribe to Theana Money on your favorite podcast catcher if you've not already done so. And please tell your friends about the podcast. So back to the topic of this episode, whether or not different income levels are okay is something I think would not really have been controversial for much of human history. Really, probably not seriously so until the last couple centuries. But now we have been influenced by various aspects of Hegelianism, Marxism, critical theory and intersectionality and all the ways those terms overlap. And this has led us to think that differences in just about any way are differences in worth and value, not just a difference in something incidental to us that makes no distinction in us as human beings, something accidental to our nature as human beings. God is okay with differences between people. He made men and women after all, and I, and I assume most of you listening as well, We're not egalitarian. Men are better at some things and women are better at others. Only women can become pregnant and give birth after all. And it just shows how far our culture has gone away from God that to some that's considered controversial. God didn't do all of that on accident. That was intentional and those different physical aspects between men and women have corresponding differences with which God made them men and women. Likewise, not all humans, regardless of sex, have the same intelligence, height, 
skills and of particular importance to this episode, monetary income. This is not some moral evil that God allows to exist in a fallen world, but it is something that exists in this world and I would argue would still occur even if the fall had never happened. God is not against people having different levels of income. We see people in scripture who are rich and people in scripture who are poor, but both of them have no criticism from God on their amount of wealth or lack thereof unless they sin in order to acquire wealth or sin by coveting the wealth that others have. Abraham, David, and Solomon were all very wealthy men. Abraham had his own personal army of 318 men, as we read in Genesis 14, 14. The amount of goods David donated to build and maintain the temple would, in today's valuation, make him the richest man in the world, and that is just what he donated to God. We don't know how much he had left over after that. In today's valuation, it would be in the ballpark of $200 billion that David donated to the temple before he died. And if you're interested more in learning about that, listen to the episode I did last year, episode 21, titled, Can You Be Rich and a Christian? But there are also people we see in scripture who are righteous before God who did not have that level of wealth. Jesus, prior to his three years of ministry, would have been a carpenter as Joseph was, and carpenters, carpenters and masons, since the Greek term is a little bit ambiguous, in the first century were usually middle class. Although Mary and Joseph were probably poor when Jesus was born because of what we read in Luke 2.24. Luke writes there that Joseph and Mary offered a pair of birds in obedience to the Mosaic law for Jesus as the firstborn son of Mary. Remember what I said a few minutes ago about this being the offering for those who were too poor to afford the animals? They would uh, make this sacrifice of turtle doves or pigeons instead. Also, later, when Jesus is doing his three years of public ministry that the four Gospels record, he owns little besides the clothes on his back, so he wasn't wealthy at all. And he is God incarnate, the second person of the Trinity. Or we could look at Jacob slash Israel. He is actually an example of both instances, someone who was very poor and someone who was very wealthy. When we see him near the beginning of the account of his life in Genesis, when he leaves his parents' house and goes to live with and work for Laban, he had next to nothing. He pretty much just had his staff and the clothes on his back going to visit Padana Ram. I'm pretty sure if I remember right, it says that he literally used a rock as his pillow while sleeping one night because he just had nothing. But then you see him 20 years later after he's married and has uh, most, if not all, of his 12 sons who would become the 12 tribes of Israel, that he's very wealthy. And so he has all these vast quantities of various types of livestock 20 years later after having basically nothing. Or for specific verses that are not case examples, look at all of the verses in Proverbs about the sluggard. Proverbs 6, 10 and 11, 10, 4 and 5, 12, 27, 
13, 4, 24, 20, 13, 21, 25, and 24, 30, and 31. And I honestly, I probably could have kept going even more than that. But at a certain point, y'all would probably say, Jeremy, that's a long enough list. You can stop. These are all related to this issue of different levels of income because they address the lazy person, the sluggard, who is capable of working but doesn't because he's sinfully lazy and he doesn't want to work and his lack of working will lead to him becoming poor and having to beg from others. That result of him having to beg from others and being poor is a judgment on that person from God for his lack of God-honoring work. And now these verses don't teach that one unable to work due to a genuine physical issue, such as a serious injury or something like that, that if they're poor, it's their fault and a judgment from God. But that one who is able to work and doesn't want to work because of his laziness. Proverbs 10, 4-5 that I just mentioned not only mentions the poverty of the sluggard, but the riches of the diligent, the wealth of the one who works hard and works wisely. For a New Testament passage, there is Ephesians 4.28. The thief who comes to Christ must repent of his stealing and instead work to make an honest living. Not only must he put off stealing, but he should also do the opposite and put on being generous to those in need with his wealth, putting off sin and putting on obedience. The fact that he would need to give to those in need means that there are those in need who need help from others, implying different levels of income and wealth. And that brings us to a related discussion, that of income versus wealth or saved money. Even if we could make the case, though we can't, that God demands equal income for everyone, that doesn't mean that everyone would have equal savings. Income is how much money you make, usually stated as the amount you make in a given year. But savings is how much you have saved up over the years by not spending all that you earn. We could break that up even further into liquid assets, such as money on hand in your bank account, and hard assets, or the more technical term, illiquid assets, such as your house. Liquid assets are things that can be spent now or very quickly. More or less, think cash, whether cash in your wallet or in your bank account, or something that can be converted into cash quickly, such as your mutual fund portfolio. For harder assets that are not liquid, think things that would take some time to get the value of them in money or would lose much of their value by trying to get their value in money quickly. Once again, such as your house. It takes quite a bit of time to list and then sell your house, unless you go with the people always advertising to buy it in cash right now, but they offer below what the house is worth when they do things like that. That's how they make the money by renting out or selling your house for a profit. So savings is related to income, but can vary quite a bit. If someone makes a lot more money, but spends all of it every year, he will have no savings. Whereas someone who makes much less, but he makes more than he spends, his savings will grow over time as long as no unexpected issues such as major repairs or medical emergencies or something else comes up and drains away those savings. 
even if we made every human on the planet have the same annual income and equaled out all of our savings so we were all equal in the Marxist sense of the term, savings would very soon be unequal because some would spend all of what they make and have none left over or even spend more than they make and go into debt while others would spend less than they make and add to their savings. That way they can afford to pay for unforeseen expenses and have money for investment or inheritance to their children and grandchildren, as the intro to every episode mentions. Also, you might have some that are skilled businessmen who would very quickly not have any money in savings, but they are making a calculated risk that they think in several years will make them have more money in savings than everyone else. So that whole idea of if we equaled out everyone's income and savings, how it would very quickly no longer be equal is something people sometimes talk about to show some of the errors and the errors and presupposition with these Marxist uh, ideas of income and income equality and equity. To give a more detailed example to help us all understand this better, think of two guys who are as equal in many different ways and as many different ways as two guys can be. Both have 10k in their bank accounts, both make 100k per year, both are in good health, and both are married and have the same number of children, and even both own houses of similar value with similar amounts of the mortgage paid off. They're about as equal as we can picture two different guys being. The one guy, we'll call him Tomohiro, takes an expensive cruise with his family every year. His family eats out a lot and often at nice restaurants. They drive fancy vehicles and he sells his current house even though it's fine for his family and he buys a much larger and nicer house and does other similar things such as these. The other guy will call him Shoya. He doesn't deprive his family of nice things but he doesn't think that the price tag determines what is or is not nice. He and his wife make sure to put some money aside each month and save money by eating at home most of the time. They keep vehicles for a long time instead of trading them in while they are not very old for brand new ones. And they uh, don't feel like they need to keep up with the Joneses. Even though these two people here, Shoya and Tomohiro, have the same income and could have very similar expenditures, Tomohiro has a much higher cost of living than Shoya, not due to necessity, but due to desire. Because of this, over time, Shoya will have much more in savings in his bank account than Tomohiro. And if something bad happened to both of them that was very costly, Shoya would be able to pay for it with his savings, whereas Tomohiro might not be able to. He might have to pay for it with a credit card and then work to pay that credit card off in the following months. So this shows how even with similar income and similar necessary expenditures, the unnecessary expenditures of wanting to have nice stuff will make a difference in savings. And that's not to say that wanting to have nice things is always wrong, but depending on your situation and your heart attitude, it can be. And if you know where I got those names from for 
those two people in the examples, then you should PM me or comment on one of the posts mentioning it because those names come from what is probably my favorite movie. Here's a hint. I'll give the full names of those characters in the movie they're from. Shoya Ishida and Tomohiro Nagasuka. So income and savings are different because savings is what you have left over from your income after expenditures. Different costs, whatever the reason for them, which includes emergencies, affect the amount of money you have in your savings. But income brackets aren't even the same for everyone throughout their lives. As we grow older, we tend to develop skills or acquire new ones that lead to higher wages. That can take many shapes and sizes, such as getting better at your job and getting promotions, using the skills you learned at your current job to get a new one somewhere else that pays better, starting a business with skills and knowledge you get either at your current job or some things you learn how to do on the side, and many other factors that lead people to increase their income as they grow older. Think about it. When you were a teenager working your first job, you had no previous job experience and probably no unique skills that were in high demand. As a result, your first job probably did not pay much. If you got paid above minimum wage, you were happy with that because it was probably more than your friends at high school made. But 10 years later in your mid-20s, you have hopefully used that decade effectively to get more experience, more knowledge, and develop your skills, and now are making much more than minimum wage. Another decade later in your mid-30s, that process has continued and you are likely making more than you did in your mid-20s. Almost always, mid-30s you is making more money per year than mid-20s you did. If any of you listening are familiar with Thomas Sowell, then this is probably nothing new to you. He has, in at least one of the books of his that I've read, discussed this topic of income brackets by age group and how that relates to various issues of economics. One specific point Sowell makes, not directly related to the topic of this episode, but hey, I'll go on a tangent for a minute. This is just free for you. Not that you pay for the podcast. It's also free, but you know. Uh, so this one specific point Sowell would make when I was reading this in one of his books several years ago is that he was relating this idea of the income brackets by age group and relating it to the average income of different ethnicities. Since average income tends to increase with age up to a certain point, if the average white person in the U.S. is 10 years older than the average black person in the U.S., and the average Asian person is 10 years older than the average white person, then we would expect average income among those various ethnicities to be unequal. The older the average person of that ethnicity in our nation, the higher the average income for those of that ethnicity should be. If they were all making the same average income, despite the different average ages, then that would actually be unequal income because the one demographic would be making at a younger age what the other demographic is making at an older age. So like I said, that would actually be unequal income between those demographics because of the different average age and how age tends to increase, sorry, income tends to increase with age up to a certain point. 
So let's talk about stats with those income brackets by age to help us better understand it. Uh, this is coming to you from a website I found on a DuckDuckGo search whose stats seem to correlate to what I know from when I looked at this a few years ago and also with another website that I checked for confirmation to make sure these numbers seem valid. Uh, the name is a combination of letters that don't quite make sense to me, so rather than read it off to you, I'll just put the URL in the description of this episode. If you want to check out that website and make sure I'm not misrepresenting it or lying about what it says, make sure you look at the average numbers per age, not the median numbers. You got to scroll down a little bit further because median and average numbers are different. And in this graph, in some instances, very different. Uh, median is the middle number in a set of data and average is, well, the average. So while they can be similar, they can also be quite different depending on the range of data we're looking at. So the average income in 2021 for a 16 year old was $5,821.30. Most of these people are probably high school juniors. They're working a summer job. They're maybe working part time during the school year. They're not making a lot of money, less than 6,000 a year on average. Also, Working a summer job at a church camp when I was 17, I made a lot less money than that. So apparently these people are doing a lot better than I was when I was 16, 17 years old. Uh, so then we go up one more year to 17. It increases nearly $1,000 to $6,760.37. Going up one more year after that increases that number quite a bit to $9,725.23. Nearly $10,000, a nearly $3,000 increase from the previous 6700 amount. Then going from 18 to 19, it increases substantially again to $15,062.78. Those two drastic increases in a row, one of about 3000 and the other of nearly 4500 makes sense when you think about how at this age range, People are graduating high school and taking on more hours and possibly higher paying jobs as they um, possibly get their first uh, full-time job that wasn't just a summer job in between semesters at school. Then the next several years, according to this site, show an increase of several thousand dollars just about every year for a fair number of years to come. At 25 years old, the average income has broken $40,000. So now we're talking about an age group that has been in the workforce for a number of years, and some of them now have college degrees, though how much college helps anymore is up for debate unless you go into a specialized field. And so at 25, the average has broken $40,000. Then skip forward a decade and look at the average for 35-year-olds, and it now is showing around 66k. So that's more than a 50% increase from the 41k average for those 10 years younger than what we're looking at right now. The 25-year-olds we just looked at to the 35-year-olds now show a more than 50% increase in income over those 10 years. Not 50% per year, but 50% over the entire decade. Then fast forward another decade to 
the average 45-year-old income, and we are just short of 80k per year, according to that site. The increase is still substantial over the 10-year period, but not as much as the increase from 25 to 35 was. When we look further down the list of ages past the mid-40s, that number doesn't show the increases it did before and even shows decreases at times. So for many people, their 40s is when they really maximize their annual income, or if nothing else, they don't see the growth each year they did when they were younger. There are many different variables for why income tends to increase the first 20 or 30 years in the workforce, but primarily it's what I just mentioned about developing your skills and your knowledge and your experience over your years on the job and how that relates to and results in a higher income. While a minimum wage job is understandable for a 16-year-old who usually doesn't have much experience, it should not be expected for a 32-year-old who should have a lot of experience by now. So if we were to flatten everyone's income, regardless of age, that would disregard these reasons for trends in income among people of various ages. 20-year-old you on your first day on the job doesn't know nearly as much as 30-year-old you at your 10th anniversary. And that's why 30-year-olds make a lot more money. 30-year-old you probably made a lot more money than 20-year-old you did. So the government overreach and high taxation required to flatten income across all people would do great harm to an economy. That's not really something I've discussed in this episode, but I've discussed things related to that before, and I'm sure I'll do that many more times in the future, Lord willing. But for egalitarians, and this time I mean this in the general sense, like egalitarian across everyone, not just egalitarian specifically to the male-female egalitarian debate. So for egalitarians who believe that money pretty well correlates to worth and value, to pay one person more than another is to value that person more, not in regards to how much that person provides to the company, but on a more ontological level. One person getting paid more than another is like saying that the first person is more human than the second because more money means more value and power, according to people that think this way. This is a wrong view of money and its relationship to value and power. Income means nothing for your value on an ontological level, but should only reflect the economic value you bring to those willing to pay for it. Viewing income in this way reflects the improper view of power common among Hegelians and Marxists, and it is not Christian. In fact, this wrong view is in some ways related to the feminist movement. People with this assumption saw men making more money than women and saw that as essentially saying that men are more valuable than women or more important than women on an ontological level. So instead of addressing the wrong presuppositions and going from there to correct whatever issues may or may not exist, we built off of those wrong presuppositions and pushed forward a Hegelian view of income in relation to power and ontological value in the name of feminism. All that to say, different levels of income are not inherently wrong. Different people 
bring different goods and services, different sets of knowledge and skills to the table, and some are more economically valuable than others, though that reflects nothing about the ontological value of the human being with those skill sets or lack thereof, because he or she is still a human being made in God's image. But people do offer things of various levels of economic value. And for most people, the economic value you have to offer those willing to pay increases over time, at least until you're in your mid-40s, if not later than that. If you're an employee, it takes time to develop knowledge, skills, and experience that employers are willing to pay for. And if you own your own business, it takes time to perfect your good or service and for your company to become more well-known among potential customers. So in short, I likely make more money than some of you listening, and others of you listening likely make more money than I do. And 10 years from now, I will probably make more money than I do right now. And most of my uncertainty in that is due to the Great Reset and just general obedience to James 4, 13 to 17, not a lack of confidence in the development of my own skills. And as long as all of us are making our wealth in a way that honors God and isn't sinful, then it's okay that some of us make more money than others. So that was this week's episode of Theana Money. As we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace, friends. Satisfies me, your law is sweet, oh you.